In this episode, Ryan and I shred a financial entertainer who has been disparaging the infinite banking concept. We had fun doing it. Thank you for listening. Okay, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. Here we are, deep underground, undisclosed location, 20 miles south of Fort Worth, Texas, downtown Alvarado. Pushing back the frontiers of ignorance, trying to have fun and not get triggered. But then Mr. Griggs shows up with a couple of topics. <laughs> and Happy New Year. This is nice a new year. New Year setting. Yeah. With a new table that I am adjusting to. Mr. Griggs doesn't like change. <laughs> and so we do have a new uh, podcasting table, and it's considerably higher than the previous table. Yeah. Which, by the way, we purchased at a garage sale, the previous table. And it worked so great. It, it, was, it was time for an upgrade. <laughs> but I did come in, and then we, I wanted to see comments. You know, we look at the YouTube comments. And then we were poking around online. Uh, went to a particular Facebook group. He was group. poking around online. Not me. Yeah, went to a particular Facebook group and saw a video. Are we going to say his name? Can we say his name? I don't care. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's... A, so here... The last week or so it came out, and my feed on Facebook has been inundated with it. Mm-hmm. So I brought it up. Yeah, this I blocked notifications from that group because of other reasons. But uh, <coughs> yeah, so it's a it was a, a a post by Dave Ramsey, who is of course extremely uh, popular, and I think the title was "Infinite Banking is a Scam." Uh, <laughs> it, it was from November twenty third, and I've done articles like written articles where it's like you target a certain piece and sure. uh, take it apart. I've done, I did on a, uh, Gary North, we've talked about before. I've uh, done it uh, on another guy who sent a cease and desist letter because he was mad at how effective it was. Uh, and that's the topic <laughs> Wait, look, everybody time. wants to hear the truth until it affects them, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so this one, I think I'd, I'd like to talk through some of the things that uh, Mr. Ramsey said and my, so my background with this kind of thing is, is I, did, I did mock trial in high school and college and was very successful at it. And part what I did at the my main role was to give a closing argument. Mm-hmm. And so throughout the two and so a half. So that means that you have probably listened to the previous arguments to present closing arguments in court. Yeah. Right. And so okay. I just take down <laughs> quotations of what I hear. Right. And then, so I have a page of those and a little, a little more. Um, so to set the scene, Dave Ramsey and his co-host, who contributed nothing, were there, uh, and they had a caller who said he was on Baby Step 7. Probably a millionaire. Yep. Yep. Referring to his financial pathway in terms of baby steps, which well, is Well, why didn't he own. call? I mean, Mike, there's a legitimate question here, and I don't want to sidetrack you too much because, <clears throat> you know, and that, that clip was only nine minutes or so. And I wouldn't have listened to it if you hadn't have forced me. I'm just saying, my background is I started my career 30 years ago of buying term and investing the difference. Mm-hmm. All right. And then 30 years of experience in the life insurance business, 16 years experience with the infinite banking concept. And my question here is like, why didn't the guy just like get with his endorsed local provider? Right, that you know the ELPs that have to pay Dave Ramsey anywhere from two fifty to fifteen hundred dollars a month, so they can use Dave Ramsey's name. Mm-hmm. Why didn't the caller just already address this? 
I'm the sure ELP. he did. This was further down the click funnel. He don't, oh, okay. The, yeah. <clears throat> All right. The client for life now. Um, so the caller, and the question was, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a financial advisor, quote unquote, uh, and, and they're pointing me to this infinite banking product, so to speak. Uh, and and the, the main, the, the thrust of the caller's point was that after, in the seventh year, I can start using the dividend. The dividend will outpace the premium. And, and that's, yeah, yeah. that was the main, that was what appealed to this caller and the caller was conveying that to Ramsey. And Ramsey then interrupted him and then went on his seven minute or so tangent. And we have some of the things that he said here. Um, first well, of guy, all- uh, The guy did say it was you know out of the box thinking. Right. Yeah. And then he went into the seven year point in time where dividends can pay. But, you know, you're just picking a point in time in the future seven years, five years, 10 years. I mean, right. is that really relevant? I, I mean, I don't think so. But uh, to clear up one thing, Prudential is not a mutual company. <laughs> he loves beating up Northwestern Mutual, too. I mean, he's yeah. beaten up Northwestern Mutual for 30 years. Yeah. And Prudential hasn't been a mutual company for 19 years. It's not like this happened yesterday. Um, they didn't demutualize until 2001. That's what my little Google search wow. showed. Yeah, so not like it happened yesterday. Right. Uh, okay, so then, so Ramsey's main response was uh, that you shouldn't make a life insurance purchase decision on the basis of dividends. And I think we talked briefly before that every – every successful deception is half true. Sure. And so there's a, like that's fundamentally correct. You shouldn't buy life insurance based on dividends. But that, no question. It doesn't end there, right? And so Ramsey went on to say that the IRS considers a dividend from a mutual company to be a quote unquote deliberate, end quote, overcharge to the consumer. And Ramsey's point is that if you therefore, as a customer or a policy owner of a mutual, of a policy from a mutual insurance company, receive a dividend, that you're therefore just receiving the money you've already paid them. Yeah, and, well, that, and that there's he, no other party in the picture. That that's, and so, that, so he calls it, he says, it's all pass through, quote unquote, that you're just sending them money and they're sending it back to you. Uh, and then when you come to die, they, they keep the cash value, right? You, uh, the cash value all dies with you was the comment. Yeah. So, so many things wrong with that. There's and so many things wrong with with the whole nine minutes. I mean, you're just you're just pointing out the dividend, the pass through, which is right. Nobody should make a decision of of even a stock, in my opinion, uh, based on a dividend. But the guy also said in the beginnings like overfunding a life insurance. No, no. You don't overfund. Have you ever overfunded anything in your life? Overfunded. Like you've gone past the, the legitimate limit of some kind, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, imposed by you or someone else. Overfunding. No, no. Words do have meaning. And so he was paying a, potentially, if you're practicing the infinite banking concept, you're going to pay an appropriate premium. You're not going to overfund. You know, that's... Uh, it's Just a common word out there. Very common, even it's even from the, the financial professionals. Well, in, in, in infinite banking in particular, mm -hmm. that infinite bank, the, the allegation is that infinite banking is about overfunding a contract. And when I hear that from clients, I ask them, it, it, 
it's not possible. There, there are the, the the contract states the base premium that you have the obligation and the right to pay, and then there's potentially a term premium if there's a term writer, and then there's a, a PUA writer. You have the Excuse option me. to pay a PUA, and and that the, the ability to pay a PUA is limited by the minimum and capped out at a maximum. There's no, you, you can't exceed the contractual limits. It, <laughs> That's what a contract is. <coughs> well, just so, because you pay a high premium doesn't mean you're overfunding it, right? Well, there is no such thing as overfunding a contract. Exactly. It's not possible. Exactly. Uh, and then, that, that, was then, the, that was the little ticker moniker at the bottom of the... It was all about a, an individual who had an advisor who told him to overfund. It's not... Yeah, yeah. Well, look, then, and then the gentleman, you know, picked a, like a seven-year time period that then the dividends could pay the premium. And it's like anybody in the infinite, everybody in the infinite banking world um, knows how to properly, should know how to properly structure a policy. I don't know what people know and what they don't know. And there's more elections to the dividend than just uh, having a dividend pay a premium. You shouldn't receive the dividend in cash. What? Why would you want to? I mean, can you? Sure. So, Owners of dividend-paying whole life have the right to choose the dividend election, meaning what the dividend is allocated to. One of those elections is to receive it in cash. The uh, policy owner can tell the company, send me a check at the end of the policy year. That's one option. It's not the default option. It's not the ideal option. If you're studying the infinite banking concept, it's not the ideal option if you're looking at this economically, right? It would be better if, for instance, the dividend could go back to the policy in the form of PUA premium, What? which is the default, which is where it should be going. Why should it be going there? Because the dividend is contributing, therefore, to your increasing cash value. So you, the, if you have, it's, it's kind of like he was straw manning the idea of the, uh, the, uh, the infinite, if you have an advisor who's portraying him or herself as someone who's teaching the infinite banking concept and they're telling you to take the dividend in cash in the seventh year, then they're not conveying appropriately what you should be doing in the infinite banking concept. The dividend shouldn't be going to you. Uh, if you were to need it, fine. The best way, I tell clients this, the best way to exercise your purchasing power in a dividend-paying whole life contract is via the policy loan, period. Period. Not from the dividend. So well, another... Layer. It was it was throughout the whole clip. It was amb ambiguity wrapped in accusation, and it sounds to me like all of the re him, Gary North, all of the rest of them, they're judging the insurance guy like that's derogatory to begin with, but they're judging the insurance guy by their own character. Yeah, because he goes right into oh. The insurance guy is selling a dividend for a commission. It's like, shut up. Yeah, that's cutting, I mean, that's cutting a lot of It's like, whatever. I guess it sounds good if you're too cheap to, uh, <laughs> well, let me rephrase that. Um, if you're buying death benefit, right, and you, you know, don't want to pay any premium, then by all means, go buy term. And he gets into his Xander quote engine. Oh, how less than honest is that? Wow. Xander that he owns, they don't, they have 42. He, I get it from him, this clip that I listened to one time and have no desire to listen to it again unless I want to point by point eviscerate the commentary. He says Xander has 42 life insurance company 
that they quote on their quote engine. And they, you will not find a mutual company on there because they're not competitive. It's like, you know what? You do pay a higher price for term insurance when it's issued by a mutual company. Wonder why, Dave Ramsey? You know full well why. Because you have the guaranteed contractual right to convert that to permanent insurance. But of course, you know, you don't promote that. You don't get commissions off of that. You get commissions off of selling your programs in churches who are ignorant about finance and economics. So I think if anything crawled into the house and died, you crawled into the church house and died. My opinion. <laughs> so, and it smells, right? He's referring to, James is alluding to a comment that Ramsey made on his on, in this video that we're talking about. But then he beats up Northwestern Mutual. You know, it's like he's the one that bought life insurance and then went bankrupt and couldn't afford the high premium and had to give it up. You know, he probably, oh wait, it's a private asset. You know, he, I don't know what state he lived in. I don't even, I'm just saying. If I had the conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we're, t- we're talking, I'm talking to some people in the infinite banking world and different personalities and uh, programs and marketing ideas and schemes and things come up and yes, they exist. Just had a day to waste, huh? Uh, No, it came up in the conversation. (laughs) That's not what the conversation was initially, you know, initiated for. But, uh, we, you know, we talked about bankruptcy and some individuals, and, and I just made a point. You know, Nelson Nash had the opportunity to file bankruptcy, and he did not. As a matter of fact, not only did he not file bankruptcy, he paid his share of the other partners who did file bankruptcy. So this moral high ground mm-hmm. that Dave Ramsey has to take, you know, because he's a Christian or he, you know, he's some financial guru because he's milking the churches. Well, pray tell what does that say about your character when you file bankruptcy? And I get it. You know, we've all made mistakes. I'm not saying, oh, you know, I'm driven pure. I'm not, you know, pure white as a driven snow. But does that not speak of your character? But you want to judge everybody in the life insurance world on your character. You don't know them. Just like Gary North. Oh, my gosh. He's judging every life insurance agent based on his character. It's like, frankly... Go get a job, man. <laughs> well, I want to address the, the point he was making that the IRS calls a dividend a deliberate return of premium. A deliberate like, overpayment. Okay, it, it, is that, that, that's the question. Is it the case that a dividend is a non-taxable distribution from the mutual company to the policy owner? And the answer is yes, to an extent, right? You have the legal right, not an attorney, but you have the right to receive a dividend up to your cost basis. In other words, you can take, you can receive in dividends everything you've paid to the mutual company in the form of premium. Right? You can get, quote unquote, all your money back out by receiving the dividend. And in Ramsey's framework, that's a bad thing. And in my mind, I don't understand why it would be a bad thing to receive a non-taxable payment. What he even said that if you have a uh, if you have stock in Home Depot and Home <laughs> Depot pays you a dividend, that dividend is taxed as dividend income, and it's like okay, that's also true, but why is that a good thing? 
Well, look, he uses the Home Depot. He equates the policyholder of a mutual company as the owner of the company, right? But they're the consumer of the company too. So it's some kind of a nefarious, mm. you know, circumstance or arrangement that the owner of the company is getting some of his money back. You pay in a hundred, you get seventy back. You're supposed to feel good about. It. But the way he says it, it's like uh, profits are an evil thing. I bet you he's not a nonprofit, or is he? Is he just earning all that money and not paying taxes on it? I don't know, and I don't care. But profits are the foundation of free market economics. Okay, so if if it's a bad situation that I'm an owner of a mutual company because I'm a stockholder in the company that are not publicly traded, mm-hmm. right? So you can't go out there and, and uh, buy back stock. The insurance companies can't buy back stock. All of their managers don't get, you know, stupid bonuses because they manipulated the stock prices. Okay, but it's a bad thing, right? If I'm a policy owner and therefore I receive a dividend, which yeah, technically correctly classified in the from the by the Internal Revenue Code, uh, the IRS. Like, do you think the IRS has your best interest at heart? <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. Okay, so it's classified as a return of premium. I've said it many times before. I don't care how you classify it. Just send it to me. I do not take my dividends in cash. I have them paid directly into the paid-up additions rider, into the policy, on purpose, with intent, and I have no intention of changing that. Which is so overlooked, by the way. We we all want the ability to pay a PUA premium because we, well— if you know, we can assume that we know that that increases the death benefit, which increases the cash value. Well, if that's the case, and it is, then how nice would it be if there was an extra PUA premium payment that flooded in that I didn't have to do anything for? That's the dividend, and so it goes back. To, why would there be an advisor? It's called, okay. It, well, because look, is it is he an insurance advisor or a CFP? How many of his ELPs are CFPs? Well, and how much advisor do you want to pay for that CFP designation, right? Well, and I'm not disparaging that. I'm just saying the certified financial planner, like that, is the standard. They there's many designations in the financial world. Okay, yeah, none of them know a thing about capital theory. But uh, <laughs> well, now listen, we're, we're only talking about a nine minute, you know. Hit piece. But there's a lot of good stuff here. Okay, <laughs> so there, then there's the underlying claim that. Well, wait, if wait. We, let me finish this. If it is the case that the dividend can offset the premium in the eighth year, and if it is the case that you shouldn't buy life insurance based on that claim alone, and that okay, all that's fine. We we still haven't reached the conclusion. There, there, there's, the argument still has not been made that there aren't other things going on in the contract that would make it preferable, right? None of these, and this is why I, I harp so heavily on capital, is because none of these conversations, none of these debates, none of these uh, hit pieces by Ramsey or others on YouTube, the IGIC promoter, none of these people talk in terms of control over capital, and you've reiterated this and Nelson said it very simply the, the the financial question is who controls the banking function in your life as it pertains to your needs that is the question and if we're not addressing that question then we're just talk we're talking past each other we're talking apples and oranges sure. and so if everything in this video about the price about whether or not mutual companies are competitive about comparing the dividend to the premium all of that is couched in terms of the price of the death benefit per premium dollar. And that, 
you can have that conversation if you want to, right? We could talk about the color of the sky if we want to, it's but a we're very not, narrow conversation. We're not a, exactly. We're not addressing the underlying problem of who controls the banking function. What strategy? What system do you have in place to systematically accumulate and then deploy capital? What? Th- th- that's the question. Well, listen, <clears throat> that, and I completely agree with you. No. No doubt, the 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 conversation has to be very narrow and focused on one particular point, and then it's browbeaten, and everything else is really ambiguous in 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 an accusational way, you know, an accusatory way. You know, he did go on to say that just follow the math. The owner and the customer, the from the Home Depot. You know, it's bad if the life insurance company, a mutual company, is owned by the policyholders, and they're the customer, and they receive a dividend, which is an overpayment. All that's bad. But if you shop at Home Depot, and you're a stockholder of Home Depot, and they send you a dividend, that's good. Well, that's pretty arbitrary, isn't it? (laughs) It's it's obviously uh, from somebody who wants you to own stock. And why doesn't Home Depot... Prudential or Northwestern Mutual. I mean, Northwestern Mutual predates Home Depot by 10 times. Yeah, decades. I mean, well, but why don't they stand up for themselves? You know, and I don't know. I'm just, I would encourage you, Northwestern Mutual, to, you know, talk, at, le- at least defend yourself. You know, Prue, you demutualized a long time ago. I'm, I mean, you're not even a pro, you're not even a mutual company. And I would think Dave Ramsey knows that. He knows something about life insurance. He knows that term life is very profitable and cheap, and he peddles it at the lowest common denominator. That's why he owns a company that sells it? Right. <laughs> and, and then you know, and all that's great. Is there a place for term? Sure, there's a place for term. Talk to the 55 year old man who had a heart attack at age 51, is still married and has children, and now is suddenly uninsurable. Right? Oh, what you, you you mean? You did everything that you were told by the quote unquote financial world, and now you still have a need for death benefit? Mm. This idea that you're going to um, outlive the need for capital or your people when you graduate everything that you put together and didn't give away or didn't spend is going to be left to someone else and if you do it right maybe left to people that you love and care about do you really want to leave them pennies you know it reminds me I've had men in my office and they're like you know we're talking about life insurance and it's like uh, among other things okay it's like do I write life insurance you bet I do I buy it too um, but that's not the only thing that I do. <clears throat> but I do as much of it as I can. But when a man tells you, it's like, well, I don't want to leave her any money. I want her, you know, her boyfriend can take care of her. I mean, the conversation is over. Get out of my office. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you don't love people, if you don't, if you don't have a desire to leave anything to your people, then by all means, go right past life insurance. And I'm not saying life insurance is the only way that you can leave things to people. I'm not saying that at all. But um, if you're talking about a legacy, if you're talking about leaving wealth to a future generation, and you leave out life insurance, you're you're doing yourself and your family a disservice. I have to believe that, because I had this conversation, a friend, it was like last night, we're out at a bar, and... 
he asked what I do, which I don't, I don't like that question, but, and so, and then I told him, he's like, oh, well, you know, I've got all that taken care of. I talk about Dave Ramsey. I've got all my final expenses. It's all prepaid and all that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, gosh, I mean, so that thinking is so limited and I have to believe, I have to believe it just comes from a place of not knowing what's possible because it is not about living now or death benefit. It is not about, do I leave somebody something or do I enjoy my lifetime while I'm here? It, and I had, I think we talked about it uh, last week or week before, same similar situation that you've had with people here that I've had over the phone. People say, well, I wanna enjoy my lifestyle now. I don't wanna leave any money to my adult child who's on the phone with me. It's like, <laughs> whoa, you know, it wouldn't, and okay, but that, thinking is just constrained by false information because it's it doesn't have to be that way and it's like why wouldn't you want to leave places well and here okay so here's a question a statement that's connected to this Ramsey says, all your cash value that's sitting there dies with you. <laughs> okay. When you it has a soul. <laughs> when you when you sell a home oh my gosh. You don't get the sale price of the home Plus the equity. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> let's say let's say I have a market uh, value uh, the home. The market value is five hundred thousand. I have three hundred thousand dollars in equity. I sell the property for five hundred because that was the market value. What dirty scoundrel <laughs> kept the three hundred thousand dollars? Was it the ELP? That did the real estate, you know, because you can get an LP with real estate, right? Oh, wow. 1250 1500 a month. Who gets that? Who do they write that check to? And wait a minute. And he also referred, I want to go back to the Home Depot because he quote unquote, quote, they took too much from you. The life insurance company, if they pay you a dividend, they took too much from you. So if you own Home Depot stock and you shop at Home Depot, they took too much money from you if they pay you a dividend on the stock whenever you purchase their product. I mean, my gosh, man, get your story straight and be consistent. <laughs> I'm just saying. So tell me, who kept the 300,000? The equity. Yeah, there, you, say that who, who, you said who'd they write that check to, and that's the thing. There is no check to write. There, that's not what equity is. No, I was, trying, I was asking who does the ELP practitioner, the oh. endorsed local provider, when they pay, you know, I I don't know. I have heard that, and now I'm being like Dave Ramsey. I hear stuff, you know, assume that it's correct. But, but they're I all Christians, so, you I know. I want to pin this down, though, because okay. we hear it a lot, and it's out there. It's a, when you die, you, they keep the cash value. <laughs> There's no cash value to keep. It cash value is just the net present value of the death benefit. It's the present value net of the ongoing cost of a future cash flow, right? Just like the, you know, there's a, a present value relation between all future cash flows discounted by time and net of a cost. And that's just well, what it is. That, we, we've talked about that over and over and over and over. What is the cash value? And when you're clear and you understand what it is, it makes total and perfect sense. Now, let's say I have a million-dollar stock portfolio and a qualified plan. Because I've been enjoying these 12% long-term growth stock mutual fund returns, okay, <laughs> qualified plan, and I die at a million dollars, mm. all right, and then my lovely wife receives that as a remainder, 
and she receives seven hundred grand. <laughs> what dirty scoundrel kept the three hundred thousand that I have been paying management fees on, trading fees, and every other fee associated with an investment portfolio in a qualified plan? Yeah. Who kept that three hundred thousand dollars? Now I'm assuming a thirty percent tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Was it your stockbroker? <laughs> was it the endorsed local provider that sold you that and got paid all of those fees all along the way? So you get a million dollars. I don't know what it costs to manage that. I don't know what the ELPs earn, but let's say they pay one, get paid one percent mm. for their advice and their storefront and all that. One percent of a million dollars. I mean, I'm not like a rocket scientist, but now you're talking <laughs> some real money. So listen, if I'm 30 years old, and I understand I may not have a million dollars at 30, but I'm gonna start accumulating money, and I accumulated over the next 30 years, 29 and a half, 30 to 59 and a half years of age. And I paid management fees on that portfolio. I wonder how much that is. And But Dave Ramsey wants to talk about commissions like it's a bad word. I don't know what he calls his remuneration from all of the all of the churches that pay him money to get out of debt, get out of debt. Well, hell, why don't you just talk about discipline? You know, and I don't want to take anything away from getting out of debt because the debtor is servant to the lender. No kidding. No kidding. The only time Jesus Christ ever got angry is when he threw the bankers, the money changers, out of the temple. By God, there's a dead rat in the churches, and it stinks <laughs> to high heaven. And the, this this little last quote: anyone who's academically <laughs> trained, anyone who's academically trained knows this. Meaning, the infinite banking concept is a joke. And well, well, what kind of academic training do, or is I'm a CFP? Sure, yeah, I'm not sure that's a qualification <laughs> to be academically trained. <laughs> oh my gosh! But I mean, I guess I have get you a real training. financial advisor. Mm. Yeah, and then infinite banking is for them, meaning the meaning the agent, the commission hound. Right? I just I, I like the idea the 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 insinuation that profits are bad, and that that every life insurance agent can't think past the word commission. Mm. It's like, oh my gosh, you must not be able to think about your next month's revenue. I mean, you're, you're projecting that on everybody. Gary North did the same thing. You know, like commissions are bad. Okay, so a paycheck is bad, fees are bad, royalties are bad, you know, whatever you call the endorsed local provider income that you receive, sir, is that bad? If we called that a commission, oh, wait, you can't get a commission because you don't have any licenses. I get it. <laughs> I, I mean, so, you know, this this idea that getting paid is bad if it's a commission, but it's okay any other way. Yeah. Similar to the uh, fee-only, quote-unquote, advisor we've talked about in the past. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Baby step seven, the guy's probably a millionaire, right? I don't know. And then, and then he equates... He just didn't feel right. The caller just didn't feel right. The infinite banking concept is a high knowledge, and, and most of that is unlearning what you've been taught. Mm-hmm. Infinite banking is very simple. The concept of the infinite banking, the idea that you can become your own banker. But this idea that the caller didn't feel right. It just didn't feel right. So then he equates this caller's feelings to the Holy Spirit. Mm. Really? Now let's get spiritual, Dave Randy. You're so freaking spiritual, I can see through you. 
I mean, I, and oh it, it is emotional. Dave Ramsey, why do you got to be so spiritual and you got to slay your brother? What about all these Christian life insurance agents out there that you're disparaging? Hmm? By your own character, you're projecting your own character onto them. Now, who gets to answer for that? We all get what we all will enjoy what we have earned and what we deserve. There's this life and one more. I'm just saying, is it okay for you to disparage your brother like that? I don't know. I'm just asking. Yeah. No, I think he deserves to be called out on that. I also want to make sure, and I, I hope we have, I know... Because I know what the, I don't know. I, know I feel like I've been be. I know what the objection will be in the YouTube comments, right? Oh, you guys just went off and you ranted and raved, and yeah. it wasn't. It's too long, right? We went on too long. Why don't you make something shorter and concise? I mean, all the same things. All the comments that don't get posted. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I want to make sure that we did cover it. So, like the the idea of overcharging, the idea of. Uh, uh, that you should make a life insurance purchase decision based on the dividend, uh, the idea that mutual companies are not competitive. I mean, I, I think we've properly <laughs> 150 gone years. Each they're not of those. competitive. They've only been in business that long because they've overcharged the whole time. Yeah, right. I mean, it is an over. It, the IRS didn't pull that from nowhere, right? No. At, at the beginning of the year, life insurance engineers, as Nelson called them project out very conservatively conservatively what their investment experience will be like over the course of the year and what their cost experience will be like over the year and they st the way i put it is they stack the deck against themselves oh they, they're conservative yeah super conservative why because they want to be able to stand behind the guarantees that they're well, making. here's why because when concept. you pay a life insurance a premium when you pay the life insurance company a premium all right you're paying you're transferring the risk of dying too early or having cash values in the future, okay? The risk of not accumulating cap capital in the future, okay. Those are guaranteed obligations to the life insurance company. As soon as that policy is issued, they've assumed the risk, right? So you're paying a premium for that. And I understand the dividend is not guaranteed. I, I get that. It is a component in the accumulation of that policy. Those are future obligations to the life insurance company. There's not anyone here going to get out of this world alive. Three's happened. I don't think you're going to be the fourth. I'm not going to be the fourth. Your graduation is a future obligation. It's a guarantee, and it's a future obligation to the life insurance company. And then with cash value, and I'm not talking about universal life and account values. Okay, I'm talking about cash value issued by mutual companies. It's a future obligation. If I got mad and quit... That company has to give me, I'm walking away with that surrender value. It's, a, it's an obligation to the company. So my point here is when you pay a premium, they have to put that money to work to meet their future obligations. Now, is that really that complicated? And so if they're ultra conservative, if they think it's going to take this much to distribute, pay all the fees and the commissions to the banks, the brokerage houses, to the agents, to the IMOs, however they distribute their product, it's a cost to them. Actuarially, you know what? People are going to die. They have to account for the amount of deaths that happen. Right? And all of the men, they have all these people in the home office, all the technology needs in today's world. All of that costs money, right? Okay, so just like you said, the engineers, Nelson, the engineers, they think it's going to take this much to provide that product. And they're over, overly conservative, so they have a contingency fund 
JIC, just in case. So they charge too much. They overcharge for what it actually cost them. Therefore, they pay that dividend to the owners. What is so god-awful bad about that? Yep. Yep. So they generate throughout the course of the year. They predictably, consistently generate a surplus. And that surplus goes to fund a contingency fund and returns to you in the form of a dividend. Oh, that word is... uh is odd in 2020 what business has a surplus huh? <laughs> oh my gosh yeah and, and why why would we want it to be any other way like what's the counterfactual we would want my premium to be lower we would want we would want a, a company that is not conservative we would want an aggressive company that that, that does not perform these actuarial analyses to assume uh, certain contingencies and uh, stack the deck against that. We want that. We want a more aggressive company and a company that therefore is less likely to be able to stand behind the future dividend and cash value. Should we choose to surrender? Oh, and like, sixty would, years into the future when you would, may graduate. Well, here we go. Why would we want that? Oh, to pay a lower premium. Okay, so we want to pay, and it, so this is where it comes back to. We want to pay as little premium as possible, which in the terminology of the infinite banking concept means we want to generate as little capital as possible. Well, why would you want to not generate a lot of capital? Oh, I don't know, because we're not even thinking in those terms. It, it, if the only way that you can accumulate capital in a dividend-paying whole life insurance policy is by paying a premium. And you've never heard of an overcapitalized business. You've never met anybody who had too much access to capital. There is no such thing as too much capital. If there's no such thing as too much capital, then there's no such thing as too much cash value. And if there's no such thing as too much cash value, then there's no such thing as too much premium. The only problem is you don't have the ability to pay as much as you want. What? That's the problem. <coughs> well, the listen, problem man, that- I've been eating enough beans and rice. You know, I can barely pay for the fifth car that I've got. But, but that's the the problem is that is not that I have to pay Wait, too I much trade it premium. In for a the problem is not that I have to pay too much premium. The problem is that oh I don't gosh. have the ability to pay as much premium as I would like to. Hmm. Wonder why. Listen, if it's you know, but I think it's most, literally the exact opposite of what he's talking about. Uh, uh, the only thing that he said that was factual that I heard, the only thing, only one thing. There are two types of life insurance companies in the country. There's a stock company owned by the shareholders, and then there are mutual companies owned by the policyholders. Which, by the way, is not totally true. I mean, there is also the mutual holding company structure, which is like a blend of the two. And, and I mean, so yes, there are stock and mutual companies. That far is correct, but... Yeah, I don't know. And, and then people, you know, get hundreds of thousands of views and all these fawning comments. And, sure, sure. Yeah. You know, but they're, I think the average or all-American Dave Ramsey uh, listener, you know, just hear, they hear what he has to say and they just take it at face value. No. And then he accuses us of, what was it, living off of the middle class? 
uh, as if we're attacking the middle class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the middle class is too overcapitalized, right? Oh my! Everybody gosh. in the middle class has way too much access this, to capital. The infinite banking <laughs> concept is the antithesis of what's going on in the financial world, which Dave is overly promoting. Because after you get out of debt, you've got to go find a long-term growth stock mutual fund that earns twelve percent. Let's don't spend any time on which those is what fallacies. Madoff paid. What? Oh, wait, he didn't pay it. He just uh, he reported that he it. earned yes. it. Yes. <laughs> and then, it, you know, I think I've talked about this before. I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of people in our practice, you know, and they call into my office. I mean, I get to really talk to a lot of people. And, and a couple of years ago, I had a great conversation with a gentleman. He's like, James, um, you know, I taught Dave Ramsey's program in my church for 15 years. I'm like, why are you calling me? I was suspect from the beginning. I've taught my children this concept of buy term and invest the rest, invest the difference, which is nothing new. You know, Dave said that uh, the infinite banking concept is just old school, whole life done very poorly. I mean, that shows his ignorance. Um, it's not old school, whole life done poorly. It's old school life done correctly. <laughs> anyway, this gentleman, the epiphany for him, right? He went through the crash, you know, of 08 and whatever and lost everything, okay? Uh, but he was a builder. He was a home builder and he had heavy equipment. And he goes to the bank to get a loan to build some houses. And at the time, this was probably three or four years ago, if he would have done that, I mean, he probably double or triple his money on these homes, you know? Okay. He goes to the bank to borrow money so he could build a couple of houses. And guess what the baker tells him? Oh, well, you're going to have to sell some of your heavy equipment. If you sell that, then we'll give you a loan. What? Hmm. That doesn't even make sense, right? But he didn't have access to capital. Wonder why? He taught the, uh, the, this uh, beans and rice philosophy for 15 years in his church. What happened? What happened? I don't know. Other than, you know, he said he lost everything in the market correction or whatever. And so I know what didn't happen. He didn't accumulate capital because if he would have accumulated capital, he wouldn't have been to the third party lender. He would have already been building houses. What? Which is something that he knows something about. Obviously, he didn't know anything about the stock market because he lost it. <laughs> right? So how about you do something that you know something about? I don't know. I'm just saying. So I'm like, yeah, it's a tragedy. I'm sorry that you experienced that. You can't get to this quick enough. Right. You know? Well, then as he goes through our process, you know where it winds up? All ready to go, you know, designed a policy, an appropriate amount of premium, an appropriate amount of capital accumulation and an appropriate timeline for him. He's like, James, I just can't, I just, I have some more debt that I got to get rid of first before mm -hmm. I do it. And my whole point, I said it all, I say it all the time, and this is a great example. You know, you hang around that kind of stuff and you can't get it off of you. Yeah, if you the, teach it for 15 years, I mean, he, I can't even imagine that. He couldn't get it off yeah. of him. You know what? He's still not building houses and he still doesn't have mm. access to enough capital. He's still dependent upon the third party lender and jumping through their hoops, getting out of debt. Yeah. So, it, like, so, this whole, this whole uh, thing with Rams, it really speaks to the, uh, the, the broader problem that 
99.98% of what's considered finance or the financial industry or the financial advisory industry has it totally backwards. Just the idea that you're going to take people who are undercapitalized, who don't even think in terms of getting capital, and turn them over to Wall Street so that they can buy these uh, 401ks, these tax-qualified, get in bed with the government to go play with Wall Street, and that's going to work out for them. Well, somebody's getting paid. <sighs> over and over and over and over. But, the, but you know, uh, oh, I'm a life insurance. I, I sell life insurance, and I'm the bad guy. I think the most... <laughs> You know, people who have bought into the idea, buy term and invest the difference, which Ramsey, that talk about old school, that's over 100 years old. Um, and if that's your gig, go buy 30 year term and then go buy tax free muni bonds. I'm not giving you that advice. Yeah. I'm just saying it's like, okay, then what? That. And then go collateralize your tax free muni bonds. <laughs> to a third party lender. Let's say we had a uh, a uh, an equity position, a portfolio. Can't I get a loan on margin? Why not? I mean, if you're a baby step seven, are you are you are you generally a millionaire? I mean, I don't know. I mean, Ramsey said, well, he's probably a millionaire. Well, why the hell is he talking to? another any other financial mm. advisor other than the one that helped him accumulate a million dollars or whatever a fair yeah. question and really, a million and what I mean I'm so skeptical of all every time I hear something about someone's net worth I'm like yeah well what what's it consist of yeah. is it is that the value of the tax qualified plan well then who knows what that is really worth you know, well, we can all look at a statement. You, let me know when you receive the check in the well, mail. We can we can look it up online and see what the value is at the end of the close. Sure. Right? Yeah, I'm sure it's all net of fees and net of taxes, and yeah. That, yeah. and then this other idea that you know because Mr. Griggs pulled up another video this morning, <laughs> like one's not enough, and you got these schmucks talking about investments. Life insurance is not an investment. Any and every time you hear somebody. Use the terminology life insurance and investment in the same conversation as they're the same thing. You should swap left. Yeah, I'm just looking for the exit. Yeah. Oh, but we should get the SEC and the IRS involved. Oh, yeah, let me get a private letter ruling. Unless you create a company. Yeah. yeah. Let's complicate the fire out of that. All these accusations and then judging people by your own character. It's just red flag after red flag. But you know what? If the infinite banking concept is too complicated for you, then there's many other things that you can do. However, if you're tired of the norm, if you're tired of Wall Street taxes and inflation, the lack of control, exchanging your God-given abilities and talents right, for this, someday you'll have a big old portfolio that you can live off on in retirement, you know, if you've been doing that 10 or 15 years and it's not really working out for you, or if you've just watched your people do it for 10 or 15 years, if you want something different, then you should investigate the infinite banking concept and it shouldn't be done on YouTube. I appreciate you listening to this video. I appreciate you going to, you know, my website, Ryan's website, the YouTube channel. But this is not, um, well, let me say it's one of the best educations in the infinite banking footprint. 
that I know of, but you can't leave out Nelson's two books. You want to understand the infinite banking concept? There's really only two books and two books only, only that you should read. Nelson's first book, Becoming Your Own Banker. And his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. Everything else is a me too, an interpretation or a promotion of whoever wrote the book. So, wait, you got to read? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a great conversation with a gentleman, a client that's been a client for about a year. Thought he was practicing the infinite banking concept prior to our meeting a year ago. Discovered that he wasn't, which you know, encouraged him to look about uh, and engage with somebody who actually understands the infinite banking concept. So he became a client, great guy, but we had a great conversation the other day. And he said, James, I've read more books this year than I have in my life. And I'm like, Coy, thank you. I'm like, that brought a tear to my eye. It's like, think about this, this man's in his 50s and he's reading again, hallelujah. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to read. It's my point. Yeah. All right. I feel better. I'm just getting going. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to close out of this one. I'm going to fire up another one. I'm going to go point by point by point. <laughs> and then I'm going to put it. And you're going to have to actually do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll put it on the client only access. Okay. Listen, I had fun. Thanks for listening. And happy new year. Yeah. Happy new year. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.